0: Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Today, our guest is Andre Martins, who is currently a research scientist at Unbabel. It's a Portuguese startup which offers machine translation solutions at human quality. Andre also is an invited professor at Instituto Superior Tecnico. A researcher at institute do do telecommunication and just in case he has any time left he consults for program uh, labs uh, and on a more personal note andre is one of the one of my role models in research uh, he, uh, his defense at cmu was uh, probably the first talk i listened to at cmu uh, Most of the talk went over my head, Uh, later I read his papers, I came to appreciate the practicality and the scientific rigor of his work, so welcome to the podcast, André. Thank you, thank you,
2: yeah, and thanks for the nice introduction, I'm also a big fan of your work.
1: So today we're we're going to be talking about your paper titled, uh, Learning What's Easy, Fully Differentiable Neural Easy-First Taggers. Could you start by explaining what is easy-first decoding and why we might need it?
2: Okay, so so the main motivation for this work is uh, you know looking a little bit on the way the dominant approach is for structure prediction these days. There are models like uh, sequence-to-sequence models and so on that can be used to to solve a lot of different tasks. They all be called in a left-right manner. And uh, this is something that I find a little bit unsatisfa- unsatisfactory. I mean, it's true that I can argue that spoken language as a temporal dimension, so it's, it's it happens left to right, in a way. But on the other hand, uh, if, if, if you decode with that assumption, this can lead to things like error propagation. If you do a, mi- a mistake early on uh, in your generation, then this is going to reflect on everything that you do afterwards. Other problems like label bias, left to right bias, like the fact that your model learns to do this, also gives uh, some, some bias. And in the end, you get suboptimal performance. So our initial motivation was to looking at the, uh, introduce like a planning mechanism that uh, guides your search. So instead of producing your output from left to right, try to figure out what parts of the output is, is the easiest to predict first, do something and then condition subsequent decisions on things that you have made before. And it can go either to the left to the right and, and proceed from there. So this this is the high level idea. This is not a new idea. I mean, people are have been working on easy first uh, uh, models a long time ago. In NLP, there there's a few famous papers applying this idea for sequential problems like part of speech tagging. There's also some applications to parsing. And um, and so uh, what we try to do is to kind of use the same sort of techniques, but uh, avoiding performing discrete decisions. So we wanted to have like a, an algorithm that was end-to-end differentiable and that allows us to learn the best ordering by which decisions can be taken. So this doesn't happen in the classical, uh, you know, vanilla easy first methods. So in those methods, I can describe it a little bit. Maybe it's better yeah, that for be clarity. So, so typically, you know, let's suppose that you, are, that you want to tag a sequence. For example, you want to do part of speech tagging. You know, you start by scanning your sentence looking at, uh, at, at words, possible part of speech tags for that word. Then you use some sort of model to compute the score for each tag for every possible word at, at every position. And then you decide to start with the words and, and the tag that jointly has the largest score. The intuition here is that you start by performing the action you are most confident about. So let's suppose you pick word number five and you say it's a noun. You scan the sentence again, all the other words, and you condition your score computation on, this, on actions that you have performed already. So, for example, maybe you are going to pick a word that is next to word five, maybe word four, or maybe word six, because that can give you some uh, information about what's a, a part of speech tag that's likely to be next to a noun.
1: And so you do it,
2: and you, you just proceed doing this until you tag the entire sequence. And so the, the way you learn a model to do this traditional methods is not to try to optimize over all possible orderings because there is a factorial number of possible orderings. So this is a very, uh, this is a combinatorial search space. Typically, what we do is you just do things like uh, gradient descent or perceptron that are going to penalize you for, uh, you know, uh, mistakes on your sequence tagging, but they are not going to inform your model about what would be the best, uh, search, the best ordering uh, strategy. To start tagging. So you just rely on this heuristic that a larger score means that you should probably start with things that you are most confident about. And so what we do in our model is to try to optimize over the ordering as well.
1: A question before we go to rumours that you introduced in this paper, I find it a little strange that this is not as standard, the standard way people do decoding in NLP. It's very intuitive. I haven't done it myself so I don't have a great sense of how well it works. You know, even like the older methods that people used, and uh, what one particular thing I'm uh, I'm concerned about is the efficiency right? because you you need to make the same like you need to make inference for the same uh, token multiple times. So, I, to what extent is this a problem uh, in general? And I think it applies in both the previous work and also the the, the method introduced in this paper.
2: Right, right. That's a good question. So there, there's a price you pay. These methods are a little bit slower because you need to scan the sentence multiple times. There are some things that you can add to the model. Like, for example, for sequential tagging, you can constrain, okay, let me just choose between tagging the word on the left side or tagging the word on the right side. So that avoids looking at all the other words. Uh, in, in dependency parsing work, there's, there's a nice work by Joab Goldberg and uh, Michael Elhad. They also had, uh, so they formulated the, uh, parsing uh, uh, as uh, should I produce like uh, should I attach the next word on the left or should I attach to the next word on the right? And uh, they came up with a nice strategy that can, I think, in the end they get like an additional log factor uh, in their decoding, so it's not too heavy. In our case, we didn't exploit those those heuristics. Our hope is that was that um, we could eventually in the future come up with something more efficient by exploiting the sparsity. Uh, of our model, which kind of, maybe I'll postpone that part when I describe our, our model in full detail. Uh, but in this paper, we were not very concerned about efficiency. This is just a, like a first step into neuralizing uh, this idea of easy-first tagging and uh, making it differentiable and apply it to sequence tagging, which is a you know a simple problem. And we, uh, you know, uh, in, in the future, our idea is to extend this to more complicated structure prediction problems and to start looking at efficiency.
1: So, would you say that uh, the efficiency of, like the lack of efficiency of previous methods for easy first decoding was a primary reason why it's not widely adopted?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe that and also simplicity. Also, I, I think that uh, there's not, like, for problems like part of speech tagging, which is one of the tasks where people started to do easy first decoding. So, there is a paper by Tsurok and Suji in 2005. I think that was called bidirectional inference. So, it, it came by different names. Uh, There's also some work by Christina Tsutanova, something called cyclic dependency networks, which is related to this as well. Uh, I think there's also the the fact that the models are a little bit bit more complex than other other existing models. Uh, And in the end, you know, we don't get like a much larger accuracy. Probably because of the fact that you are not really, uh, uh, your model is not really learning the right ordering by which you should make decisions it's relying on this uh, heuristic that uh, a bigger score means that you should perform that action first.
1: Yeah, could you uh, explain how, I guess, the limitations of uh, the previous work, I guess, one central uh, concept that has been used and you're using your work is the concept of a sketch and it doesn't really lend itself naturally to a neural models. So uh, if you could elaborate on this, a little bit, that would be helpful. Sure,
2: okay. So, so actually, I think, I, I let me go back to the vanilla is the first algorithm because I think it's, it makes it easier to understand what we're doing differently. So in the, in the standard, uh, vanilla, there are a few things that you, a few variables that you need to maintain. So you need to keep track of what are the positions that you have covered already. So I'm think, I'm, I'm still thinking about sequence tagging as the problem. Uh, so you need to keep track of which words you tagged already. So the set of covered positions. You also need to keep track of. What are the part-of-speech tags that you have assigned for those words? And at each step, what we are doing is picking a word and the tag for that word. And what we are doing is getting rid of all discrete variables in this model. So instead of picking a single word, we are using a, a probability distribution over all the words. So by by using uh, you know an attention mechanism, we are basically computing how much you should attend to which words. To perform the next action, so this is one of the differences. The second one is, instead of uh, you know keeping a set of positions that we have covered already, uh, we keep how much attention each word have, has already received, how much cumulative attention each word has already received, like how much probability mass have we already spent for each particular word. So you can regard this as kind of a continuous relaxation. Of uh, uh, zeros and ones that will denote whether a word was already tagged or not. So we can get something which is between zero and one because we are using a special kind of attention that I'm going to talk about later. And the third uh, uh, aspect is the sketch that we are mentioning. So instead of keeping track of what are the part of speech tags that uh, we assigned for the words that we have already tagged, uh, we keep uh, a continuous representation for those tags that we call the sketch. So the sketch is basically, you know, a matrix. The number of columns of that matrix is the number of words in the sequence. And for every word, they have a vector. We can regard that vector as kind of an output embedding. So an embedding for your labels, except that we never predict labels as the algorithm goes. You only predict them in the end. So what the algorithm is doing is, is deciding at each step, it's deciding which uh, word to attend, but in a, a probabilistic manner. So it, it computes an attention distribution over the words. Then it's going to update the sketch, but updating more for words for which it spends more attention. And after doing that, it updates the cumulative attention for all the words. And it does this in several steps to for consistency with this, the Vanilla Easy First algorithm. You can set the number of steps to be the number of words, uh, which kind of means that you uh, you know you, you spend the same amount of attention to every word until we uh, you know, kind of devote one um, uh, unit of probability to every word. And then at the end, we obtain a full sketch that contains uh, embeddings for all the words. And then there is a final softmax layer that is going to look at those embeddings and just uh, have a soft compute, use a softmax uh, to compute the probability for the final layers.
0: How do you compute the output representation, it's a function of the inputs and the attention, is that right?
2: Yeah, so, so the, the output representation, so the sketch matrix, the way we updated it is by, um, so we start by computing a representation for every word that takes into account the neighboring words, the context of that word, and also the context of the sketches, uh, so the sketches in the context of that word, Right, the current sketches, and the attention that we uh, that we have for every word. Uh, from that, we update the next sketch. So intuitively, let's suppose that at a particular step, the attention is very peaked on a particular word, so like 90% of probability is going to word number four, and the other 10 are spread to the other words. I'm going to update more the sketch for this word, but I'm still going to update a little bit for the other words. Yeah, and, and on updating the sketch for this word, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, you know, take advantage of the uh, sketches in the context of this word. The current sketches. So the, the final sketch is going to be a function of the previous sketch and the attention distributions.
1: So it seems to me that one of the primary differences here is that you're not committing to a choice, of a label for each uh, for the words that you consume. You allow yourself to make mistakes at the beginning maybe we're still like trying to solve an easier uh like to label an easier part of the input first, but we might still make a mistake and then we can reconsider that decision later and only make the decision at the very end.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Would you say this I don't know have you do you have any intuition of whether the model actually does that? Like uh, have you seen any like examples of labels where like if you were to use a sketch from an earlier stage, uh you would make more mistakes or something like this?
2: So what we observed empirically for for the experiments where we actually do number of steps as number of words, uh, which is more similar to the new easy first time, is that the model doesn't tend to revisit the same word multiple times. Or, or let me rephrase that: typically, if in if in one iteration you you spend uh, let's say seventy percent of attention to a particular word, it, it's likely that in the next iteration you are going to spend the rest, like the the, the last thirty uh, percent. So it's rarely the case that you spend a little bit of attention to a word, then you do something with other words, and five steps steps later we revisit these words. We didn't uh, observe that very uh, often in the data. It happened sometimes, but it was not very common. But we also did some other experiments where we the number of steps was not uh, equal to the number of words; it was less. The model is able to do some sort of parallel processing, so it, it starts looking at uh, words in different positions at the same time. Uh, this was interesting for named entity recognition, for example, where at the same time the model can be looking at two entities of the same type uh, in the sentence and uh, you know computing sketches for those words. And uh, in the end, it requires fewer uh, sketch steps because it takes advantage of these uh, parallel reasoning behavior.
0: Can I paraphrase how this model works just to make sure I'm understanding what's going on? and you can clarify some details. So I have as input some word embeddings uh, for some sentence, and then I run it through some bidirectional LSTM or similar to get context vectors. And then I have this sketch mechanism that uh, for some number of time steps, uh, computes a constrained attention over my inputs and then uses that attention plus my current sketches plus the word embedded, the LSTM outputs to update the sketch in a soft way and I do this for some number of time steps. And then at the end, I take the sketch representations and I pre- predict labels, given the, the, the sketch. Is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah, precisely, that's and,
0: exactly. And then how do you actually do the prediction? Is it all independent after you, after you have the, the sketch? Final,
2: the final prediction? Yeah, the final prediction, we do everything independently. We, uh, so actually, let me rephrase right. that. For one experiment, we also had the CRF layer instead of the softmax, so that was not the independent. Thing. We did it for name entity recognition because there there is a, a you know a deterministic dependency between the labels. You cannot have like a let's say a inside tag after out, outside tag, right? So you need to have a begin tag first. But for, for all the other uh, tasks, uh, we did it independently. Okay, so then.
0: The simplest kind of tagger that I can build in a neural model these days is to have word vectors, run it through some bidirectional LSTM, and then decode, uh, like predict tags using the output representations at each hidden, uh, the hidden state uh, output from each word of the biLSTM. I I could view your sketching algorithm as essentially another L-step layer, number of word step layer that still meets that same API. Right, I'm still getting word vectors as input and then different word vectors where here it's the sketch vector for each word as output. And so this sketch actually is acting, it seems, a whole lot more like some different kind of multi-step self-attention kind of operation. Like, is this actually doing easy first? Like, what's going on here?
2: Yeah, okay, so that's an excellent question. Uh, so, uh, okay, let, there are two comments that I have there. So, so one is actually we made, we like, we're kind of regretting the name that we chose for this model. Uh, I think it can be a little bit misleading to call this easy first because it's it's not easy in the same sense that the vanilla easy first algorithms are easy. Uh, so we can motivate easy first by performing actions that you are most confident about first, but in our case it's not really that. We are doing a little bit more than that. We are kind of learning a strategy to decode. Uh, that tries to perform the best actions first, even if they are not the easiest ones. So, for example, for some of the experiments that we did in the part of speech tagging, we observed that uh, it was typical that the model spent, in the first round, most of the attention went to verbs. But verbs are typically ambiguous. Uh, so those are definitely not the easiest these actions to perform. But the reason he was attending to verbs first is that they are good to give you like a global perspective of how the sentence is going to look like, because you can then look at the arguments of those verbs and so on so so yeah i i I would say that easy first can be a little bit a visiting name, so it's it's doing a little bit more than that. it's trying to optimize for the best strategy, so you had some other remark right.
0: like e- even um you
2: said. That this
0: is like some kind of different kind of decoding, except really at the end, what you have is a representation for each word that's just that's a hidden had some hidden dimension. It's different from your initial LSTM output, and then I'm just doing independent prediction at every time oh, step, okay, okay, which is okay. so the you, same. You
2: can also you can regard that you are doing multiple uh, decoding steps or not decoding, but you are doing uh, like iterative decoding or something like that, where we are repeatedly computing attention over the inputs. Uh, refining your sketches, then attention again, then refining the steps. So that, that's uh, there's some work that uh, does something like that. Yeah, so we we have a discussion about related work in our paper. That was not our initial motivation. There's I think our model is a little bit different in the sense that we keep kind of a global state along the way. So we have this cumulative attention uh, that kind of limits how much attention you can give to the, to, to the same word. Uh, so it's not that each step uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, each each sketch step—it's not the case that it only depends on the previous one. It depends on the entire things that we have done so far, Uh, because we, for example, we keep track of how much attention each word has received already. So we really try to try to promote diversity in each of these sketch steps, and I think this is a quite unique aspect in, in this approach.
0: I think it's really interesting how you approached this. I think, I, I, I do think that you ended up at some at, at a place that's in the end, very, very similar to the transformer multi-step self-attention kind of thing. It's just because you approached it from the easy first kind of mindset, you have very different constraints that give you a, a model that's, that's unique. It's, it's interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that there's an interesting connection with the transformer network. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, that there's also some challenges here. So one thing that we noticed it, uh, you don't see that in the paper, but I can discuss it now. Uh, so one thing that you noticed is that uh, uh, if you look at the entire computation graph, there are a few, uh, you know, long graph dependencies there because we are doing these multiple attention steps. One thing that you needed to do in the end before the final softmax uh, was to have some, some kind of uh, skip connection that puts the BILSTM states as well in the last layer. And we tried... We didn't like that very much. We wanted the model, okay, these models would be able to do all these uh, sketch steps and in the end just use the final steps. It should not need the initial balestms, but they were actually necessary. And our intuition about why they were necessary is that the gradient was kind of vanishing over all these computational graphs. So we might be suffering some sort of vanishing gradient problem in this approach. I think this is a very interesting problem that we need to look at uh, you know, more carefully.
1: Um. So uh, another important part uh, of this model is the attention. So uh, you mentioned two kind of requirements or desirable properties for the attention that you use here to distribute like the weights across the inputs. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about uh, the evenness and the sparsity constraints, why, why they're important, how you, how you enable them? So the sparsity
2: constraint is our intuition there was try to make our model a little bit more like the very easy first algorithm, like try to push the attention to be uh, you know, picked on one word or at least a small number of words and giving exactly zero attention to everyone else. Also, because by doing that, we're looking at something that could be computationally appealing. Because if, if, you're, if, you, if you have like a long sentence, let's say 50 words. But at each step, you only attend to two or three words. Maybe there is a lot of steps in the algorithm that can be uh, made faster by exploiting these things in a smart way. Uh, so that was our motivation for for having sparse attention, so so that each sketch step only looks at a small number of words. The evenness property. It was kind of we as we started experimenting with the model with the standard softmax and, and and sparse max realized that uh, the model, that there was many sentences in which the model tended to put the attention uh, over the same words, over and over. We did a little bit of a difference, but not that much. And uh, in the end, this seemed to hurt performance a little bit. Uh, Like, for example, for, for for part of speech tagging, there was kind of a default behavior, which is the model chooses a default tag, like the most frequent tag. Uh, it doesn't really attend to words that have that type. It just attends the others. But sometimes it's, you know, it wastes too much attention to the same word over and over. So we needed something in the model that this discouraged the model to, uh, you know, uh, put the attention over the same words uh, all the time. We started by doing something like a, a soft constraint, like a, putting a penalty on the scores for words that have already received some attention. So we, the idea is similar, you keep track of how much cumulative attention uh each word has received, and then you have like a linear penalty that uh you know tries to move the attention away from that word. That improved a little bit, but uh to keep this more similar to the original uh easy first motivation, and because we also wanted to do the, this at the same time as sparsity, we thought about oh, maybe we can put some hard constraint on the attention such that. Uh, you know, we 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 keep uh, accumulating how much attention this word has received, but you give exactly one unit of credit to every word. So the, in the end, each word needs to get exactly one uh, unit of probability in the end. Uh, and then, if it exhausts, if it exhausts uh, all these probability mass, we just cut it down. We just say, okay, this word doesn't have any more credit, so there's no more attention going to this word. Uh, or if the word already used, like, let's say 70% attention, that there's only 30% remaining, then you could put a constraint like, okay, let's compute attention, but let's put a hyperbound constraint. Like, this word cannot receive more than 30% attention. And it turns out that we, we, there's a very nice way of formalizing this. Um, so you can rewrite the original uh, softmax by using a duality relation as uh, minim- minimizing an uh, uh, you know, objective function that includes an entropy penalty and a linear function. And the, minimization, the minimizer, of that objective, it is simplex, is going to correspond to the solution of the softmax. So we wanted to do something similar, but putting some additional hard constraints. So let's have the same objective, so like a linear objective and the entropy penalty. Uh, but now let's say that uh, we also want the final probability to be, uh, to have this upper bound constraint, like this word cannot receive, or each word cannot receive more than these upper bounds of probabilities. Uh, and so we, you know, we formalize this and we realize that, oh, we can actually optimize, you can actually compute the minimizer uh, of this problem very efficiently. Uh, which is neat, right? So, but you know, for neural networks, that's not enough. We also need to compute gradients, right? So, our, net, our next thought was oh, okay, so be- uh, maybe you can also do something with gradients. And by writing all the KKT conditions and so on, we realized that there's also a closed form expression uh, for computing the gradients of these, both with respect to the scores, but also with respect to the upper bounds, which is quite neat because this means that you can use this constrained softmax attention with upper bounds that are a function of your computation graph. Uh, so, you know, in our case, it's very simple. We're just accumulating how much attention has received. But you can imagine, you know, something more sophisticated, uh, uh, I don't know, a variational autoencoder or whatever, that has some variable there that uh, is like, a, 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 you know, a, a, a is, the meaning of that variable is going to be the upper bound that you need to give to the attention of each word. Uh, and you can plug that, uh, in this constraint, uh, softmax attention and you can back propagate everything back. Um, so yeah, so, so this is, this was what, what you did. You call it constraint softmax. And th- this idea is, uh, so there, there is like some years ago, uh, like this line of, uh, research on posterior regularization, which is basically, uh, you know, there, Different angles that you can use to motivate this framework, but basically it boils down to you have some scores you want to compute uh, some probability distribution associated with those scores uh but you constrain uh you have some some constraints about uh your your probabilities or okay, let me rephrase that you have some uh constraints that you need to to uh, to be met in expectation Then you can rewrite these expectations that like a multiplication between a probability factor and some features. And we can regard this constraint softmax as a very simple particular case of posterior regularization. So we are currently thinking about other ways of extending these to more sophisticated constraints. But yeah, so the basic idea is we start with softmax and then we put some constraints on top for this particular kind of constraint, which is very simple. Uh, We have a closed form expression for doing the forward step and for doing the backward step.
0: So I've seen a lot of alternatives to the softmax recently. There's your sparse max. Um, you have this new constrained softmax. I've also heard rumblings of this Gumball softmax trick, which might do something similar to the easy first uh, notion that you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to predict discrete things, but be able to, to differentiate or backpropagate through these discrete decisions, you could, I think, as I understand it, the Gumball softmax would work here or reinforce why constrain Softmax instead of other other options? Would they work?
2: So okay, I don't. I we never considered to use a gamble Softmax here. Uh, so I, the way I see it is more like a sampling trick. So we are trying to for this particular model, we're trying to avoid sampling completely. So we instead of going that route, we try to have like a you know a, a function that is completely differentiable. So I guess that was one of the reasons why we chose to do most. And Reinforce? Would, would Reinforce work? Yeah, I mean, it's, we avoided it for some reason. I mean, it would work. It would be simple to do something similar uh, with Reinforce and keeping discrete actions. It would just be a different approach. But yeah, I would say that would be an alternative to this.
1: It, it's not immediately clear to me how the constraints of Max enable sparsity. It's clear how it allows you to do if like to make the probabilities uh, like the weights eventually even but ha- how how do you guarantee sparsity here oh
2: okay so so it's kind of it, like if you regard sparse max as something that gives you horizontal sparsity in the sense that uh, for each sketch step some of the words are getting zero probability and uh, you know others are going to receive some attention Constrained soft softmax is giving giving vertical sparsity and this is very end but it's more like a when you exhaust uh, the attention, when a word exhausts uh, the amount of probability that it can receive, after that point is going to be zero all the time. So we have some plots in the paper where we are showing uh, the attention over all the sketch steps. And uh, when you use the constraint softmax, it looks like raindrops. So it's, you see like some colors there that show how much attention a word receives and then suddenly it stops and it gets, uh, you know, uh, it gets zero attention. Uh, after that point, so yeah, it's it's that kind of attention of, of sparsity.
1: So it doesn't uh, gener- uh, guarantee it at the first in, uh, in the first trial, for example, because all of them no, have no, no, no.
2: Yeah. So actually, the first step is going to be exactly the same as softmax, because your art constraints are going to be completely loose. So this is something that I forgot to mention. Uh, if you think about the constraints softmax, there are two extreme cases. Uh, one is if your upper bounds uh, is a vector of ones or any vector that is larger than one's, uh, then this is completely unconstrained. So the solution of that problem is going to be exactly softmax. This is what happens in the first iteration. And on the on the other hand, uh, if your const- if your upper bound vector is, a, is, is in the simplex, if it's a probability distribution, then the constraints are going to be tight, which means that the solution is going to be exactly the vector of upper bound constraints. This is what happens in the last iteration. Uh, of this the 1st algorithm. Uh, yeah, so the interesting stuff happens in between these two extremes.
1: Right, so uh, you had a bunch of experiments. Uh, what are the main highlights uh, of the results? So yeah, so we
2: applied these to three tasks. Part-of-speech tagging uh, with a bunch of different languages using the universal dependency tree ranks, experimented these in named recognition, and in translation quality estimation. For part-of-speech tagging, we got some marginal improvements over by LSDM tagger. But I wouldn't say that the differences are striking. So it's it's not it's very small. Like I don't have the numbers are you know, on, like it's below one point on average. It's, it's, it's like a small improvement. Uh, overall, it seems that for uh, all the languages that we tried, it, it it was better than the baseline for most of the languages, but uh, by a very small difference. It's interesting to look at at the interpretability side, like a uh, look at uh, what exactly is going on. Like, wh- how is the model putting uh, the attention over time? Uh, and we have some plots in the paper that, that try to show this. So for part of speech tagging, uh, as I was saying in the beginning, we, we noticed that uh, it's very often the case that the model prefers to disambiguate verbs first, which initially you find surprising. But our our interpretation for that is that if you if you disambiguate the verb, then you get a very good feeling about what happens in the rest of the sentence. Uh, so maybe it's like the right thing to do uh, as a you know long term strategy if you want to target the full sentence. So we also noticed uh, that you know the model tends to learn to they don't, it doesn't jump very often. So if you if you disambiguate if you disambiguate, if you put most of the attention of word on word number five. On the next step, you're probably going to finish with word number five and you're going to put most of the attention either word number six or word number four. Uh, eventually you jump to the left of the word you started with. So there are some exceptions, but this happens most of the time. And we also compared different attention strategies. So we compared using constrained softmax, uh, with using just softmax, with using sparse max and with the vanilla easy first. So there's a figure in the paper that puts you know the four four plots side by side. Uh, and so with softmax, we notice that uh, you know the model tends to put detention over and over over the same words, which is not very interesting. And there are words that you know get, that are ignored. So and, and that reflects in the final scores. So if you look at the table of results, then the models that just use softmax tend to be worse than the ones that use constrained softmax. Uh on the case of sparse max the performance is actually quite bad. Uh, and so it kind of suffers from the same problem as Softmax, putting the attention over and over on, on the same words. But it's even more striking, because since it's sparse, then there are some words that are completely ignored. Uh, and in the end, they just get some default tag or you know, something that, is, uh, that might, might not be the best choice. So in the end, performance is you know, one or two points below the others. And, and the vanilla easy first. Is like the extreme case where the attention is completely peaked at each point, as expected, because it's it's, it's doing hard attention, so it's picking one word at a time. Uh, but one thing that you noted and was different from what we were expecting is that the ordering choice is very different from what we get with constrained Softmax. We initially, we were expecting, oh, the model is just going is just going to learn to do something similar to to easy first, but it, it turns out that it learns completely different orderings. Uh, which are not like uh, the things that the model is most confident about. So that, that part was interesting. So for non recognition, we tried something different, which is uh, instead of having all these sketch steps, having uh, a small number of sketch steps, for example, five steps or 10 steps. So we tried a different number of steps. And we noticed that in that task, since, uh, you know, in, in NER, uh, you have this BIO tagging, and uh, you know the, the, there is one tag, which means no entity, the O tag, that is much more frequent, frequent than all the other tags. And we thought, okay, maybe the model doesn't really need to spend a lot of time attending to words that are not entities or not parts of entities. So maybe you don't need as many sketch steps as in part of speech tagging. And, and this, this hypothesis was confirmed in our experiments. So the model that just uses five sketch steps does fine and it outperforms a standard STM tagger. So our results are not state-of-the-art because our uh, base model is not uh, as strong as other models that have been proposed in literature. But we can see that there is a, a, there is a larger difference than in the part-of-speech tagging case when you include these um, these sketch uh, steps uh, in the model, as opposed to just using the STM states. Is
1: there a natural way to reason about uh... The number of steps needed during the decoding instead of pre-specifying it.
2: No, that's that's a great question. So there there is there is a, rel, a related model by Alex Graves I think at DeepMind where they actually try to learn uh, uh, the pondering right, uh, like how much time they need to uh, refine their decoding, so to speak. Uh, I've forgotten the name that they call this. Adaptive, uh,
0: adaptive computation time. Yeah, exactly.
2: exactly. Yeah. So, so, there they try to learn how many steps we need. We didn't try to do that. Uh, I mean, it will be possible. Uh, it's just a matter of adding another variable in your model or do it exactly the same way as they're doing. Yeah, I guess that, that could be interesting because intuitively, for some tasks, like uh, if for more complex tasks, maybe you need more sketch steps. Uh, for simpler tasks maybe just one step is fine and uh, this is a good compromise uh, also this idea of having different sketches is also related to draw uh, which is another paper uh, you know from not in the from computer vision literature uh, the ideas yeah, are different, they use a rational autoencoder and make it recurrent and so on but they also have this idea of producing sketches of their outputs along the way. Uh, so, this is actually what motivated our name sketch for, for our metrics.
1: I guess that concludes the NER experiments.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, there, there was a, We also tried this in quality estimation. So, I mean, we didn't have. So, the results were kind of similar to what we observed with NER. There was some improvements over the model that just uses the STM states. I think the improvement was not as big. But so uh, the reason why we were doing quality estimation is that, you know, uh, this is quite related to the research that we were doing at Unbevel, uh, where we are investing a lot in quality estimation. The thing is that uh, it was a little bit hard to put uh, all the details in our strongest quality estimation model uh, into a model that fits this framework. So our numbers are, you know, very far away from the, actual, the current state of the art for these data sets.
1: How do you formulate the quality estimation problem?
2: So this is word level
1: called estimation,
2: where we are given uh, a source sentence and uh, a translation for that sentence, a machine translated sentence. And our goal is to tag each word in the MT as good or bad. Uh, You know, to create data to learn this task, we compare that with post-edited translations. So basically, translations that have been fixed by human translators, and we check if uh, you know what words have been inserted, deleted, replaced, and so on. And you use that information to tag the words in the empty as okay, this word is correct, this word is incorrect, and so on. Uh, so it's like a binary sequence labeling task. Uh, so yeah, it, you just use the same model that we're using for uh, NER and part-of-speech tagging for for part estimation.
1: So the input here needs to have both. Uh, you need to uh provide as input both the gold and the automatically translated sentence, right? No,
2: so the input is the source, the sentence in the source language, and the machine translated sentence. The goal is to produce a translation score that doesn't use the reference at all. So if, so for example, like blue scores, where, so this is not the score for sentences, it's for every word, right? but if you, if you think about most metrics that are used in MT, they require a reference. You need to compare, compare a reference. With the output of a machine translation system and then write it. Uh, in this case, the goal is to build something that is able to evaluate the empty, but without any reference, uh, just by trying to model fluency and adequacy, you know, automatically by observing a bunch of examples.
1: So this can help you like re-rank uh, the like a beam a bunch of translations that your model generates.
2: Yeah, th- there's a lot of interesting applications to this. So one of them is if if we realize that uh, all the words are correct. If you are very confident that the translation is correct, suppose that we are working in an a, you know, approach that mixes machine translation with human post-editing, which is actually the case at Inbabel. So here we have like, uh, uh, communities of human translators that are going to fix the errors of MT. Uh, so if you have post estimation that tells you, oh, I'm pretty confident that this sentence is fine, then you don't really need to assign it to a human. You can deliver it uh, directly to the final customer. And this is going to save translation costs and save time. On the other hand, if we, if the sentence is not perfect, but or if you are doing this at document level, and you can uh, identify what parts of the document need to be fixed, then you can highlight those words and provide that information to human post editors. And they will become a lot more efficient because they can go straight to those words and fix them. They don't need to spend a lot of time reading the entire document. So this is all about making, uh, like increasing the productivity of the of human post or making the entire process uh, faster and, and, and uh, reduce expenses.
1: And in order to evaluate your model, that does quality estimation, you need to have human uh, translators uh, evaluate word level. Okay.
2: Yeah so in, in, yeah, so in our case, we obtain the OK and bad labels directly from post-edited texts. Uh, so they don't go there and, and mark the words as okay or bad. They just produce something better. And then we project that information as a tag of okay or bad for everyone. And to apply this, to apply, you know, these first algorithms to this problem. The intuition is that the model is behaving like a human, like it's looking at the words, trying to look for words that are bad. And then based on these decisions, decide what's going to happen in the context of those words and so on. So it's uh, the model is trying to learn the same sort of reasoning.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, It's uh, my first time to uh, to learn about this task. That's why I I wanted to elaborate. So the, uh, you, I see there's only one row in that table, though. So uh, so there's uh, there's uh, you're comparing two variants of your model, S and NEFF. Oh yeah. So
2: I uh, yeah I didn't, I didn't uh, you know mention the distinction, but there are two variants that we tried for these first models. We call one a single state update and the other one a full state update. The difference is that, uh, let me see if I can remember the details. So the difference is that in a single state update, so you have, it's all about how you update the final sketch. Uh, so you have the previous sketch and you have the attention. In the single state update, you use the attention to collapse all the word representations to a single vector. And then uh, you just do a rank one update of your sketch matrix. It just updates, uh, you know, something that's, if the attention was picked, it will just uh, involve one word. And in the full state update, you update all the words, uh, weighted by how much attention the words have, uh, have received. So it's not a one, a rank one update anymore. But the extreme case is also that if a word gets all the attention and all the others have zero attention, this is going to behave like the vanilla easy first algorithm. So, only one uh, column of sketch matrix is going to get updated in the end.
1: So, I feel like the results consistently suggest that using the full updates instead of the rank rank one updates is better.
2: Yeah, in all tasks. So, that was very consistent. We are not using the single state anymore. It took uh, interesting in the beginning, but the full state update is much better.
1: Well, any other thoughts on this paper before we conclude?
2: Yeah, so I there's we are looking at future work for this, or, you know, we already did some of that work. So, I mean, our, our initial motiv- uh, you know, motivation for this paper was, okay, let's start with a simple task, sequence tagging, and uh, later you want to extend this to other structure prediction tasks. So we are thinking about ways of uh, extending this to sequence-to-sequence problems or, you know, more complicated problems that involve generation. It's not straightforward because in that case, you can have a static sketch matrix. It needs to be dynamic because you don't know the size of your outputs. The other direction that we are already doing is to... So remember when I was describing the constraint softmax attention where sparse max was sparse in the horizontal and the constraint softmax was sparse in the vertical. Now we are playing with constraint sparse max, which is sparse on both directions. <laughs> and so we are using these constrained attentions to, as attention mechanisms in sequence-to-sequence sequence problems. So, for example, in machine translation, there is this concept of fertility that, you know, exists since the old IBM models that's trying to predict, uh, you know, how many words in the target uh, each source word uh, will be aligned to. And it's, it really fits this framework of putting the constraint on the attention to each word. So if you know the fertility of a word, then you can bound how much attention that word uh, needs to receive in the decoder. And we are playing a little bit with these ideas with new kinds of attentions.
1: That's really neat. Uh, We'll be looking forward to the next paper.
0: All right, thank you. Thanks for coming on. This was a really interesting discussion.